Hi guys. Uh, welcome to June's True Crime. It is my turn. Oh, also, it it's Carrie. Turn. It's Carrie. I'm waving, even though we don't do video for the Patreons. Maybe we should. Hi. <laughs> Maybe we should do video for the Patreons. Um, <clears throat> all right, Laura, uh, are yes. you ready for June's true crime? Most certainly. Okay. This is the story of New York's most fantastic murder. And before I tell you, like, the actual name, you are the actual inspiration for my idea to do this this story for my true crime. It was born from your Monday morning snack size episode, The Whiskey Dublin Fire. Oh, really? Reminded me of this true crime story. Okay. So yeah. this episode, my love, is dedicated to you. this is the story of michael malloy have you heard it does it ring any bells it's not ringing a bell yet cool okay my sources for this true crime this month is uh, irishcentral.com and the smithsonianmag.com so the events that led to Malloy's death began in January 1933. He was at the time alcoholic and homeless after falling on hard times. So one afternoon in July 1932, Francis Pasqua, Daniel Kreisberg, and Tony Marino sat in Marino's speakeasy and raised their glasses, sealing their complicity, figuring the job was already half finished. How difficult could it be to push Michael Malloy to drink himself to death? Anything so far? Mm-mm, no, I don't think I've heard this. Fabulous. So every morning, this old man showed up at Marino's place in the Bronx and requested another morning's morning, if you don't mind, in his muddled brogue. Hours later, he would pass out on the floor. For a while... Marino had let Malloy drink on credit, but he no longer paid his tabs. Business, the saloon keeper confided to his friends, is bad. So Michael looked like an easy mark. He was just part of the, quote, flotsam and jetsam in the swift current of underworld speakeasy life, those no longer responsible derelicts who stumble through the last days of their lives in a continual haze of Bowery smoke, according to one newspaper at the time. So his friend Pasqua said, why don't you take out insurance on Malloy? Um, and he said, I can take care of the rest. So Marino paused and Pasqua knew that Marino had actually pulled off such a scheme once before. So you and I are big true crime buffs. We have heard right. tons of stories where it's wasn't un- uncommon back in these days to take out a life insurance policy on somebody and then kill them and then get the money. This was their plan for Michael Malloy. So Pasqua knew that his friend had pulled off such a scheme once before. And the prior year, Marino, the owner of the speakeasy, who was 27 years old, had befriended a homeless woman named Mabel Carson and convinced her to take out a $2,000 life insurance policy, naming him as the beneficiary. So one frigid night, he force-fed her alcohol, stripped off her clothing, doused the sheets and mattress with ice water, and pushed the bed beneath an open window. The medical examiner listed the cause of death as bronchial pneumonia, and Marino collected the money without incident. 
Wow. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> dark, dark folks we're talking about right. here. So, Seriously. yeah. Marino figured that Michael Malloy, who looked to be about 60, though he was actually a decade younger and in terrible shape, would die easily. He nodded and motioned to Malloy. He looks all in. He ain't got much longer anyhow. This stuff is getting him. Meaning, of course, the alcohol. The alcohol. Yeah. So... Um, five men who were acquainted with Malloy, Tony Marino, Joseph Red Murphy, Francis Pasqua, who was a mortician, Hershey Green, and Daniel Kreisberg. Um, all this group was later dubbed the Murder Trust by the headlines. So they plotted to take out three life insurance policies on Malloy, then get him to drink himself to death. So Marino and Pasqua glanced over at Daniel Kreisberg, um, who was a 29-year-old grocer and a father of three. And he would later say that he participated in this for the sake of his family. Um, he nodded, and the gang set into motion a macabre chain of events that would earn Michael Malloy cult immortality by proving him nearly immortal. <laughs> Dude, it... I mean... I. I'm going to pause to take my own drink. This is, however, just boxed wine. <laughs> but damn. Everybody slug one back because it's about to get crazy. That would be just like an Irishman. Like, R- can't be killed. I mean, <laughs> wait till you hear. Holy shit. Okay. So they agreed to go ahead. They began backslapping Malloy and gave him free drinks. Malloy, accustomed to getting the bums rush because of his lack of funds, was so thrilled that he eagerly signed a petition that would help elect Marino for local office. But what he actually signed was an insurance policy from Metropolitan Life and two from Prudential. The gang even provided Malloy with a crash pad in the back of the bar to sleep off his hangovers. Now, nobody knew much about Michael Malloy, not even, it seemed, Malloy himself, other than he had come from Ireland. He had no friends, no family, no definitive date of birth. Most guessed him to be about 60 years old. No apparent trade or vocation beyond the occasional odd job sweeping alleys or collecting garbage, happy to be paid in alcohol instead of money. (laughs) Laura's like, keep going. This could be my yeah. uncle. Um, <laughs> I might be related keep to him. Keep talking about my family. <laughs> so Pasqua offered to do the legwork, paying an unnamed acquaintance to accompany him to meetings with the insurance agents. This acquaintance called himself Nicholas Mellory and gave his occupation as a florist, a detail that one of Pasqua's colleagues in the funeral business was willing to verify. So... It actually took them five months um, and a connection with an unscrupulous agent to secure all three policies, all offering double indemnity on, air quote, Nicholas Mellory's life. Two with Prudential and one with Metropolitan Life. Pasqua recruited Joseph Murphy, a bartender at Marino's, to identify the deceased as Michael Malloy and claim to be his next of kin and beneficiary. If it all went as planned, Pasqua and his cohorts would split $3,576, about $54,000 in today's money, which is a lot of money. That's disappointing. I mean, kind of. For three? Really? Right? Yeah. 
Um, they were going to split this $3,576 after Michael Malloy died as uneventfully and anonymously as he had lived. So the murder trust, this group of guys, now included a few other of Marino's regulars, including petty criminals John McNally and Edward Tin-Ear Smith. Um, he was called this even though his artificial ear was made of wax. So I'm like... Ew, weird. Now I need to look into wax ears. Um, This is stuff I don't need a picture of. (laughs) A thousand percent, but I'm going to research it and tell you all about it tomorrow. So uh, there was also tough Tony Bastone and his slavish sidekick, Joseph Maglioni. So one night in December 1932, now remember, they conceived the idea in July of 1932, but they took them five months. Yeah. And it took them five months to get the policies. And then finally they got all of their like key players in position and now they're getting ready to kill him. Okay. So one night in December 1932, they all gathered at the speakeasy to commence the killing of Michael Malloy. To Malloy's undisguised delight, Tony Marino granted him an open-ended tab, saying competition from other saloons had forced him to ease the rules. So no sooner had Malloy downed a shot than Marino refilled his glass. Malloy had been a hard drinker all of his life, one witness had said. He drank on and on. He drank until Marino's arm tired from holding the bottle. (laughs) Remarkably, his breathing remained steady. His skin retained its normal ruddy tinge, and finally he dragged a grungy sleeve across his mouth, thanked his host for the hospitality, and said he'd be back soon. And within 24 hours, he was. So I love this guy. <laughs> you're like, already, I love him. Um, Malloy followed this pattern for three days, pausing only long enough to eat a complimentary sardine sandwich. Marino and his accomplices were at a loss. Maybe, they hoped, Malloy would choke on his own vomit or fall and slam his head. But on the fourth day, Malloy stumbled into the bar. Boy, he exclaimed, nodding at Marino, ain't I got a thirst. (laughs) Now, tough Tony was growing impatient, suggesting someone simply shoot Malloy in the head. But Murphy recommended a more subtle solution. Exchanging Malloy's whiskey and gin shots with those of wood alcohol. Now, wood alcohol is a type of alcohol used to make antifreeze, pesticides, windshield wiper fluid, paint thinner, and certain types of fuel, plus other substances. Wood alcohol catches fire very easily and is very poisonous. So drinks containing just 4% wood alcohol could cause blindness, and by 1929, more than 50,000 people nationwide had died from the effects of this impure alcohol. They would serve Malloy not only shots tainted with wood alcohol, but wood alcohol straight up. (laughs) So Marino thought it was a brilliant plan, declaring he would give all of the drink he wants and let him drink himself to death. Now, Kreisberg only, he allowed a rare display of enthusiasm. Yeah, he added, feed him wood alcohol cocktails and see what happens. So Murphy went and bought a few 10 cent cans of wood alcohol at a nearby paint shop and carried them back to the bar in a brown paper bag. He served Malloy cheap shots of whiskey to get him air quote feeling good and then made the switch. So the gang watched 
as Malloy downed several shots and kept asking for more, displaying no physical symptoms other than those of typical inebriation. He didn't know what he was drinking. He didn't know that what he was drinking was wood alcohol. Right. And what he didn't know apparently didn't hurt him. And he drank all the wood (laughs) alcohol he was given and came back for more. Shut up. Seriously. Right? (laughs) Night after night, the scene repeated itself with Malloy drinking shots of wood alcohol as fast as Murphy poured them until the night he crumpled without warning to the floor. The gang fell silent, staring at the jumbled heap by their feet. Now, Pasquat knelt by Malloy's body. He's the mortician. Uh Uh-huh. And he felt for our, uh, the neck for a pulse, and he lowered his ear to Malloy's mouth. The man's breath was slow and labored. They decided to wait, and they watched the sluggish rise and fall of his chest. Any minute now. Finally, there was a long, jagged breath. They thought it was the death rattle. But then Malloy began to snore. <laughs> He awakened some hours later, rubbed his eyes, and said, Give me some of the old regular, me lad. (laughs) This guy's awesome. He's the best. Yeah. So, you know. I mean, Irish. You know. Listen, we're not drunks. Right. So the plot to kill Michael Malloy was becoming, uh-oh, cat. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Eddie. Hi, Eddie. Speaking of not able to kill. I mean, really. <laughs> so the plot to kill Michael Malloy was becoming cost prohibitive. The open bar tab, the cans of wood alcohol, and the monthly insurance premiums all added up. <laughs> <laughs> So Marino fretted that his speakeasy would soon go bankrupt. Although um, Tough Tony once again advocated brute force, Pasqua had another idea. Malloy had a well-known taste for seafood. Why not drop some oysters in denatured alcohol, let them soak for a few days, and serve them to Malloy while imbibed? Alcohol taken during a meal of oysters, Pasqua was quoted as saying, will almost invariably cause acute indigestion for the oysters tend to remain preserved. I know the whole idea is just disgusting. (laughs) Oyster flavored vodka. Uh, uh, Yuck. No, God, no. It gets worse. Uh, As planned, Malloy ate them one by one, savoring each bite and washed them down with wood alcohol. (laughs) Marino, Pasqua, and the rest played pinochle and waited, but Malloy merely licked his fingers and belched. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, killing Michael Malloy was just as much about pride as about a payoff. A payoff, they all griped, that would be split among now too many conspirators. Because now there's like, instead of just the five, now there's Mm -hmm. like almost ten involved in this. So, Murphy tried next. He let a tin of sardines rot for several days mixed in some shrapnel, slathered the concoction between pieces of bread, and served Malloy the sandwich. Any minute, they thought the metal would start slashing through his organs. Shrapnel. Oh, my God. Right. Like, how would you not notice that you're chewing on fucking metal? I mean, if you're drunk on wood alcohol, I guess. So, instead, Malloy finished his tin sandwich and asked for another. (laughs) 
The gang called an emergency conference. They didn't know what to make of. <laughs> They're like, uh oh. They didn't know what to make of this Rasputin of the Bronx. Marino called recalled his success with Mabel Carson and suggested that they ice Malloy down and leave him outside overnight. So that evening, Marino and Pasqua tossed Malloy into the backseat of Pasqua's roadster, drove in silence to Crotona Park, and lugged the unconscious man through heaps of snow. After depositing him on a park bench, they stripped off his shirt, dumped bottles of water on his chest and head. He ne- Malloy never stirred. So when Marino arrived at his speakeasy the following day, he found Malloy's half-frozen form in the basement. Somehow, Malloy had trekked the half mile back and persuaded Murphy to let him in. When he came to, he complained of a wee chill. <laughs> I love February neared. Another insurance payment was due. One of the gang, John McNally, wanted to run Malloy over with a car. Tin Ear Smith, the guy with the wax uh, ear. Yeah was skeptical, but Marino, Pasqua, Murphy, and Kreisberg were intrigued. John Maglioni offered the services of a cab driver friend named Harry Green. So now they brought a eleventh, almost 11th right. person in. Um, this guy said that his cut from the insurance money needed to be $150. So they all piled into Green's cab, a drunken Malloy strewn across their feet. Green drove a few blocks and stopped. Bastone and Murphy dragged Malloy down the road, holding him up crucifixion style by his outstretched arms, and Green gunned the engine. Malloy managed to leap out of the way, not once, but twice. On the third attempt, Green raced toward Malloy at 50 miles per hour. Maglioni watched through splayed fingers, with every second Malloy loomed larger through the windshield. Two thuds, one loud, one soft the body against the hood, and then dropping to the ground. For good measure, Green backed up over him. Wow. The gang was confident that Malloy was dead, but a passing car scared them from the scene before they could confirm. So it fell to Joseph Murphy, who had been cast as Nicholas Mallory's brother, Mm -hmm. to call morgues and hospitals in an attempt to locate his missing sibling. No one had any information, nor were there any reports of the fatal accident in the newspapers. Five days later, as Pasqua plotted to kill another anonymous drunk, any anonymous drunk, and pass him off as Nicholas Mallory, the door to Marino's speakeasy swung open and in limped a battered, bandaged Michael Malloy, looking only slightly worse than usual. His greeting? I sure am dying for a drink. <laughs> this sounds fake. I mean, it really does, right? But I swear to God, it's li- literally real. So, what a story Michael Malloy had to tell. What he could remember of it anyway. He recalled the taste of whiskey, the cold slap of night air, and the glare of rushing lights. Then blackness. The next thing he knew, he woke up in a warm bed at Fordham Hospital and wanted only to get back to the bar. On February 21st, 1933, seven months after the murder trust first convened, Michael Malloy finally died in a tenement near 168th Street, less than a mile from Marino's speakeasy. 
A rubber tube ran from a gas light fixture to his mouth, and a towel was wrapped tightly around his face. Dr. Frank Manzella, a friend of Pasqua's, filed a phony death certificate citing lobar pneumonia as the cause. The gang received only $800 from Metropolitan Life. Murphy and Marino each spent their share on a new suit. <laughs> now, keep in mind, Marino was the owner of the speakeasy. And the whole right. reason for this was that he was going, the the bar was going broke. Right. So he and goes through. Giving him drinks all this time. Exactly. So he goes through all this, finally gets a little bit of money and buys a suit. Yeah. Okay. I mean, okay, sure. So, Pasqua arrived at the Prudential office, confident he would collect the money from the other two policies. But the agent surprised him with a question: "When can I see the body?" Pasqua replied that it was already he was already buried. So an investigation ensued. Everybody, everybody began talking, and everyone eventually faced charges because they all flipped on each other. Frank Pasqua, Tony Marino, Daniel Kreisberg, and Joseph Murphy, the original four of the murder trust, were tried and convicted of first-degree murder. Perhaps, one reporter mused, the grinning ghost of Mike Malloy was present in the Bronx County Courthouse. So the charter members of the murder trust were sent to the electric chair at Sing Sing, which, oh, killed, yeah, which killed them all on the very first try. <laughs> and that is the story of New York's most fantastic murder, the story of Michael Malloy. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I just I love that that fucker wouldn't die. He would not die. And they tried everything. I'm like, mm. would alcohol like just four percent of wood alcohol cause blindness? All kinds of crazy oh, shit. Yeah. Fifty thousand people were getting sick on it. Um and he's just yeah. drinking it up. Drinking it up. Night after night. Rotten sardine sandwich with shrapnel. I mean, like, nothing. Ran over with a... Run over. Sorry, that's bad grammar. Aaron, don't Hit be and mad. then ran over. Yes. Three times. Like, hit the windshield. Hit the snow. Backed over. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing Pretty did it. Snow. Left out. Left outside. Water poured on him. It gets cold in New York. Oh, hell yeah. Freezing. Like... This guy just would not die. And so when you did your Whiskey Dublin Fire mm-hmm. episode, I was like, oh, Michael Malloy. And I'm like, I don't think, because you don't listen to And That's Why We Drink as much as I do. And they mm-hmm. covered, that's where I heard the story. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I don't listen to that. Yeah. I'm like, I don't think my favorite murder has covered this. I'm like, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. I have to hear her reaction. So when I wrote it and I read it, like I wrote it like a few days ago and I read it to my mom and she's like, that's the best story. She's like, it's now. So good. Yeah, yeah. She's like, part of me wishes that I had, I was going to be there with you when you recorded it um, so that I could be hearing it for the first time <laughs> with Laura. <laughs> Dude, it's so good. It's so funny. Yay! I'm so glad. I, yeah, I your whiskey, whiskey devil and fire. I was like, oh, I've got to do this one. I don't even remember good. now which one I was going to do for June. But yeah, this one is the best. So it's so there good. you have it. Toast to all the Irish folks out there. Because, yeah, you guys are badasses. <laughs> That's crazy. 
Um, my mom even said too. She's like, "Is this real?" Like, as you like you said, because it doesn't. It's so sound, funny. It sounds fake. It like, sounds fake. Yeah, but I'm like, seriously, my sources are the Smithsonian Magazine. Right. Yeah. I'm and, like, well, when you said the Irish Times or whatever, the IrishCentral.com. Irish yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I get some of those on my. New oh page. really? I like so yeah. I subscribe. Not yeah. Whatever you do, you know, or like sure. I send you the things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. Michael Malloy, here's to you. Good buddy. That is just awesome. I know, right? So crazy. So anyway, that is June's true crime. Laura is up next in July with We Don't Know Yet. Do you know yet, Laura? No. Okay, good. Very no, good. I still, I owe the patrons one because of our hiatus, so that'll be coming up yeah. pretty quick, too. Sure. Yeah. Well, okay, that is that on that. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. It was pretty funny. Um, I truly enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm glad you did. I was, I really <laughs> was. I was like, God, please, please don't let her know this story. Please. Because, <laughs> like, we were just talking, like, I love the surprise. You know, I love the reaction. Mm-hmm. Um and that's always really fun. Uh, so anyway, that's that on that, guys. We hope you enjoyed it. And um, if you have any suggestions of weird, fun, quirky, crazy, scary, gross, true crimes that you think we should cover, hit us up. Uh, message us on Patreon. You can email us at podcast at gmail.com. Um, those of you who have our personal cell phone numbers, text us. Let us know. And to that end, stay safe out there because you never know who or what is trying to kill you with alcohol (laughs) for a life insurance policy. Right. That's not that easy to get anymore. I mean, be careful out there. Don't eat sardine sandwiches. God, no. No. And spit out shrapnel. Like, how do you not notice that? (laughs) Guys, be smart. Even when you're drunk. All right. We love you. We'll see you next month. Bye. Bye,